Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. guys welcome back to another edition of the core forward podcast we are a podcast under gbb's podcast network along with gbb live three and d and starting five grizzly bear blues is a blog under sp nation you can find us on the web at grizzlybearblues.com and you can find us on twitter at sbn grizzlies i am your host nathan chester and i'm joined by none other than the one and only bryce hayes what's going on bryce What's going on, man? I'm at work, kind of bunkered down in my office, trying to knock, knock this little podcast out right fast. What's good, man? Uh, not much, man. I, I'm not like you. My work, my work day is a little bit less stressful than having to be in the office from 2 to 10, like you told me that you're doing. But, you know, no, I have no doubt that the uh, guys and girls basketball team is going to be covered very well by you today and everything that you're doing. I'm going to do what I can. Hope TLU come out with a big win over Shriner, both teams. Uh, I know Coach Patterson, Coach Wack have been working hard all week trying to get them ready. And I know those kids are going to take care of business today. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I told you right before we started that I was like, you know, man, like you seem like you're enjoying yourself and you're doing a really good job. But I said the thing that you need to be the most thankful about for what you're doing right now is that you're not happy to do it for the University of Memphis basketball team right now. <laughs> I mean, it's, um, it looks like chaos back home in the city pertaining to that basketball program now. Personally, I do get a few laughs off of it because, you know, before I moved, the whole conversation was we're ready for the Big 12, ready for the ACC, we're ready for the SEC, they need to call us. Now they uh, can't win basketball games with the quote-unquote best team in the country. So, Have you ever considered that you might be the problem? It was only after you went out of town that all this, like, started. Hey, I, if, if I'm the problem, there's a bigger problem on that campus because well, I have no, no ties to the University of Memphis outside of my mom being a grad. So. If I'm the problem, there's a there's a bigger issue on that campus. Well, there is a bigger issue on campus, and it's really showed up. And we'll touch on the Tigers here for a minute before we move on to our main Grizzly stuff. But um, I grew up a Penny Hardaway fan. Um, he was always kind of at the periphery of my life, both as an athlete and a person, because you would just see him around at different places. Um, in East Memphis, there's this place, little diner called West Street Diner. 
and my parents and I, we still eat there like every other Friday. And growing up, especially, we used to see him in there all the time. And so that was kind of like my first acquaintance with him. And then I kind of played in some pickup AAU leagues through Lifetime Fitness early on in high school. And he was playing on a team. So this was kind of his post-retirement, just enjoying life type of thing that he had going on back then. And he would play on teams in that pickup circuit, not with us, not in our age group, but he, I would see him actually playing basketball. So obviously I'm aware of everything that he did at the University of Memphis and how he puts on for the city. So um, I, along with everybody else, wants to see Penny Hardaway succeed, but this is not working. Uh, it just isn't. And nobody wants to be the first one to say that. And I'll be honest in saying that the first red flags that popped up to me were in year two, when even when you lost James Wiseman, let's just keep it real, they should have won the conference that year, even without Wiseman. They were still far and away the most talented team in that conference, more talented than Houston. Um, youth can keep you from winning a national championship if you're too young of a team. It should not keep you from winning the American <laughs> with the talent that they had. And so that, to see them struggle that way in year two was a little bit of a red flag to me. And then there was the whole mess last year, at the beginning of last season, and they ended up not making the tournament, even though they got better as the season went along. And now we're sitting here on the edge of an absolute disaster. It's already an absolute disaster. Penny is spending post-game pressers, bashing the veterans on his team, and it's crazy. It's bizarre. Oh. I'll kind of go at you on the whole American thing. As talented as Memphis is, Penny, and Penny is my guy now. Like, he's done nothing but right by me. He's not out coaching Ralph Sampson. And when Greg Marshall was at Wichita State, he wasn't out coaching Greg Marshall. That's just the fact, fact of the matter. So, as talented as they were, those coaches kind of gave them an extra edge when it came to facing Memphis. Now, the last couple of years, that's a different story. Now, obviously, the Wiseman thing kind of hung over their head throughout that season, even though they got better. But at the end of the day, you kind of have to look in the mirror if you're Penny. Now, the whole throwing guys under the bus. Now, as a former college athlete, I don't know how that would have really resonated with me. Constantly getting my name kind of drugged through the mud and saying this, that, and the other, and having all this locker room talk kind of get out to the media. That's not really something that I know is playing too well in a locker room, especially with kids that for the most part are 18, 19 years old. They kind of trust their coach when they come to stuff, like especially Imani Bates discussing his losing his love for the game of basketball. I'm sure that's not something he wanted to get out publicly, but it's out there now. And I'm sure that's something that as a rival fan bases get a hold of it, he's going to hear a lot of that the rest of the year. So they have some uh, – Self-reflection they're going to have to do before conference play starts because it might get ugly at the University of Memphis really fast. For sure. It already looks ugly right now. And, you know, say what you want about the year two. Um, obviously, you wouldn't consider Penny to be in that same class of coach, whether back then or now with Greg Marshall and Kelvin Sampson. But uh, there's nothing more for you or I to say that the local media heads on 92.9, whatever else, have already said about the entire situation. But there is a place to publicly challenge your team. There is a time and a place and a circumstance. And it's kind of your role as a coach to have a feeler for when that is and what that looks like. 
when you do that. But I've just been reading through everything that he's been saying, both locally in post-game pressers as well as nationally. He sat down with Seth Davis from The Athletic, invented many of the same things that he had already said. I know myself, and I would consider, like, back in my playing days, I was pretty coachable for the most part. If my coach was going around publicly blasting me, and not in a way where Nathan's got to play better, but in a way Nathan is destroying the team from the inside, the way that he has talked about the veterans and the Tigers team, I would absolutely not want to play for him. Not in the slightest. Now, I may stick it out and stick around just for character's sake and to say that I didn't quit something that I started, but to act like that's going to play any type of role in fixing the chemistry issues on a team, it's crazy. Um, I don't know how this is all going to turn out. I, along with everybody else, hoped it somehow ends up turning in a positive direction, but that is almost impossible to see at this point. And if it continues on this trajectory, and Memphis could very well lose to Murray State on Friday, they're talented enough to beat Alabama and Tennessee. Uh, there's no really sign that that's going to happen right now. If this team is looking up and they're five and six after the team's first 11 games this year, you're going to start to have some tough conversations. Nobody wants to have them, but they will be had. I think they're already starting to have those conversations, whether people want to admit it or not. I know, obviously, Penny's a hero back in Memphis, but we know that for a long, long stretch there, Memphis basketball was the pro team, quote unquote, in Memphis. Like I wrote about in that article that kind of sits in my Twitter, on my Twitter feed, like Memphis was the team. And for the most part, I still think at its peak, it kind of can still be the team in Memphis. So when that team's struggling, especially with the face of the program being who it is, you hate to see it, but there's going to be some conversations that people don't really want to have, but they're going to have to have because the team is too talented not to be better than what it is. And you bring in this quote-unquote all-star cast of coaches with Larry Brown, Rasheed Wallace, and all those guys, and they're just not living up to the hype. And this is like year two or three of not really living up to what they should be. Like, I know they went on the NIT run or whatever, but Memphis – whether it's true or not, they, they should be competing for national championships every year, even though they've never won one before. So that's yeah. the standard that, that they've set, and it's not being lived up to because they're not even making the NCAA tournament. Yeah, speaking of Larry Brown on the sideline, what I found so funny about Penny putting on his Instagram story, now don't get me wrong here, I'm a pastor. I understand the power of prayer. I'm somebody who prays every day. I believe the Lord works in powerful ways in response to our prayers. But Penny asking for prayers over the University of Memphis basketball team, and I'm thinking to myself, man, what more do you want him to do? He's given you two number one recruiting classes in the last three years. He's given you a Hall of Fame assistant coach that literally anybody would kill to have on the sideline with him. He gave you another NBA player as an assistant. He's given you two future top five picks. What more do you want the good Lord to do for you at this point? <laughs> There's a uh... – so I'm looking in the mirror that needs to be done. Because, yeah. I mean, obviously, pray, prayer can change some things. And obviously, I'm not going to look down on prayer as a Christian myself. But and obviously, people need different outlets to vent. But I don't know, man. It's it's still early. We haven't gotten to Christmas quite yet. Yeah. But they're, they're going to have to change some things. 
because it's not pretty. And I know there's a lot of people with influence over that program that are not happy. Well, so you're kind of, you were talking about the like perception of the city of Memphis when it comes to the university of Memphis versus the Grizzlies and how the Tigers are still can be the city's pro team when they're clicking at a high level. And I don't necessarily disagree with that, but you got to think the presence of job around changes. Well, obviously, obviously the dynamics change. Yeah. Yeah. When you've got somebody who's a legitimate full-blown face of the franchise, yeah. top 10, top 15 guy, it kind of makes things different for sure. But kind of segueing into the Grizzlies now with Job Moran, Grizzlies haven't really been in need of him lately. They have now won five straight games with him out of the lineup, including I, I don't think the last win technically qualified according to it, but they have not trailed in the last five games in which they have won, and they've won four out of the five by double digits. And the one in which they didn't against Dallas on Saturday night, they led by double digits for the vast majority of the game. Now, there's something uh, – I remember reading a Bill Simmons article about it a long time ago, and I come back to it every now and again. And I think I wrote an article about it when the Grizzlies were missing John Morant last year. Um, are you familiar with the Hewing effect? No. So in At least I don't night, think so. Yeah, in the 1990s – I want to say, and I might be getting the overall circumstances wrong here, but the New York Knicks were in a playoff series and Patrick Ewing went down. And obviously Patrick Ewing was Patrick Ewing, probably the best big man in the East at that time. And the Knicks ended up winning a playoff series. They had no business winning at all with him out of the lineup. They clicked, they were just started clicking at a much higher level than they even were when he was in the lineup. And then I think he came back for the following playoff series and they lost that playoff series. And so this idea was, you know, what, what, what in the world just happened? Are you not really impactful to our team's success? But there seems to be this trend, and you can go down the years of professional sports in various different settings and circumstances, and it appears that at least for a little while that when a team loses its best player, it rallies in his absence. And that's what you kind of see what's happening with the Grizzlies right here. And that's what Bill Simmons called the Hewing effect. And the Grizzlies are clicking at a higher level on both ends of the court without John Morant in the meantime. And it's interesting. Right. I mean, you have to look at it like this. I mean, these guys are pros too. They're there for a reason. So without their quote-unquote top guy and John Morant, these guys get to kind of spread their wings a little bit and show why they are who they are. They get to be in more expanded roles. Desmond Bang gets to have the ball a little bit more. Jaron has gets to be the focal point of the offense for a change. Dylan Brooks gets to be who he is and who he was at Oregon, who was Pac-12 player of the year. Like they get to show why they are in the positions that they're in. So I get what Bill Simmons kind of hinted at, but at the same time, you got to break it down to the nitty gritty and just be honest about the situation. These guys get to thrive without the guy that would be quote unquote focal point. That's all it is. It's not really. I wouldn't put a name to it. It's just guys get to elevate their level of play when they get their opportunity. You know, obviously there's it's always going to be cases of the inverse happening of guys not stepping up to the to the situation of not having quote unquote the top guy there. But in the Grizzlies' case, they're hitting on all cylinders without John Morant, and if they can keep up this level of play when he comes back, which should be sometime soon, according to him, it might get scary because they're not just kind of keeping the pace like they did last year, they're playing even better. So they've risen to the fourth in the Western Conference. And honestly, 
with Ja, if they can keep up this level of play, I don't see why in the current state of things they can't get second or third. But obviously, you got a long season. People will tell you NBA season doesn't start till Christmas. It's another two, three weeks away. So we'll see. I like the way they're playing right now. They're playing aggressive. They're playing hard. They're using Jaron in the right way. He's no longer just a spot-up shooter. He's getting post looks. He's getting to actually attack the paint and attack the basket. And he's still just as great a player defensively as he was even with John on the floor. So they got to keep up this level of play, man, because if they do, it might get scary for the West with this young Grizzlies team. Yeah, and you mentioned guys stepping up, and that's definitely what's happened because the truth of the matter is no matter who you've got in the lineup, if you're going to beat five teams, and it doesn't matter who you're playing either, but if you're going to beat five teams generally by double digits and never trail in any of those games, and the last time that was done, by the way, was by the Dallas Mavericks back in 2008. But if you're going to do that, everybody's got to be stepping up. Like there can't be some guys who are playing well that some other regular members of the rotation are not doing so well everyone's got to be clicking at a high level. And that's very much been on display. Uh, Tyus Jones, uh, he has probably priced himself out of the Grizzlies price range and free agency for this coming summer. There's going to be some team in the NBA that might want to make him their starting point guard. And obviously he's never on a good team going to be a scoring focal point or even the primary playmaking focal point on a good team. But he has demonstrated an improved three-point shot. He's shooting 42% from three this year. Probably not going to hold up at that percentage, but he's been good. He's as good at taking care of the ball as he's ever been. I don't have his assist-to-turnover ratio right here in front of me, but that's the highest of his career the last time I looked. And he's been impressive. He's been awesome. Dylan Brooks, um, last night against Miami, he may have shot the ball too much, took a few bad shots, but he had a career-high eight assists. He demonstrated his incredible growth as a playmaker over the last few years. Uh, Jimmy Butler wasn't 100% healthy, but I think Dylan Brooks kind of made it made his life hellish enough where Jimmy was content to check out of the game in, third, in the third quarter and just call it a night. He was playing well. Jaron, like you talked about, is attacking from the inside out, and that's doing wonders for his three-point shot. Like, I think he's finding an easier rhythm by trying to get to the paint. And then Steven Adams has his best game as a Grizzly. I said last night he became a Memphis Grizzly for the first time. When you have seven offensive rebounds and six of which were all in the second half, the Miami Heat as a whole had seven offensive rebounds as well on that team. He was a, a man amongst boys. He was brutalizing them. And kind of the last guy, like, I want to, like, give props to right now is uh, Desmond Bain, who compares very favorably as far as per 36 stats are concerned to Clay Thompson and his second year in the NBA right now. Now, obviously, Desmond Bain is about three, four inches shorter than Clay Thompson. He's never going to be the defender that Clay Thompson is. Desmond, if you're listening to this, knock on wood, man. Don't, don't let me tell you what you can't do. But that's probably not likely, but it goes to show that he is truly developing into a tertiary scoring option for the Grizzlies. And I'm not ready to say that he's going to be the Grizzlies' third star and they don't need to make any big moves on the horizon or anything like that. Um, I do think there's a scenario where he's averaging 20 points a game for the Grizzlies at his peak over the next few years. I think that's a very real possibility. But regardless of whatever he ends up being, this is more than what I envisioned him being. This is more than what anyone else could have envisioned him being. I envisioned him 
in a role pretty similar to what he was as a rookie, as an extremely pure spot-up shooter who could occasionally attack closeouts and get to the basket. He's doing more than just that. And I pointed to the game on Saturday night against Dallas, and I said, that's a game that the Grizzlies won back in the summer. Those live ball reps that you gave Desmond Bain as a point guard back in summer league, you can see that paying off because a year ago, if you ran out of lineup with Desmond Bain and DeAnthony Melton as your backcourt, the offense is falling apart. That's not right. It's just not going to be able to work. My man, DeAnthony Melton, he's been great. He still can't dribble. <laughs> he can't play point guard. You can't, you can't ask him to handle primary playmaker reps for an extended period of time. But Bain has shown the ability to shoulder that responsibility. And that's really, that's really encouraging at this point. Now, I want to address the elephant in the room when it comes to Ja's return and how well the team has been playing. And I'm with you. I think John Morant's going to help take this team to a whole nother level once he gets back. But in the last five games, the Grizzlies have held their opponent to under 95 points, which is something that's not been done in the last five seasons. Um, obviously, John Morant exited the lineup five games ago. Before John Morant got hurt when he was healthy and obviously the Grizzlies starting point guard, the Grizzlies were dead last in defensive efficiency in the NBA. So you kind of got this weird situation where you're looking at his fit with the roster and you're thinking to yourself, is he really that bad defensively? Or is it more just other factors that are at play where the Grizzlies have played a bunch of shorthanded teams themselves? Um, shot variance is going their way where their opponents are missing more open threes than they were the first chunk of the season. Um, I remember like seven games ago, I looked at the stats and it's like opponents were shooting 41% on pull-up contested threes against Memphis. That's not a John Morant problem. That's a luck problem. Oh. You've, had, you've had bad luck in that way. Um, I tend to think it's a little bit of both. This is an opportunity for John Morant to say, hey, the team has found a really strong defensive rhythm without you, and you've had significant issues on that end of the court. This is your opportunity to take ownership of your defense, to make it a greater priority in your game, to make it a greater focus so that the team doesn't lose any steam in that area once you get back, while also recognizing that I don't think this is all just because he left the lineup. Right, and we also have to consider that the point guard spot is, is, is in one of the best spots in the league. I mean – is so deep that John Moran is literally having to fight to be an all-star, even with his numbers. Like, the point guard position is deep. So people can lo love to point out his defense, but you also have to consider who he's going against. It's not like a couple of years ago where it's just a two or three good point guards in the league. These primary ball handlers are deep. Like, there's probably – I'm not looking at the standards right now. There's probably five or six potential point guard candidates just in the West of all-star level play that can make anybody's night hell on any given night. So I hear you and I hear everybody on Josh's defense, but we also have to consider who he's going against. He's not, he's facing top guys pretty much every night. Cause it's not like we're just switching guys off unless Melton's out on the floor, Dylan Brooks out on the floor. But even then generally that's Dylan on the wing guys. He's not on the point guard. So when Trey Young comes, it's been Josh. And guess what? Trey is going to get his regardless who's on him. So there's, there's reasons for some, some stuff happening, but at the same time, we also have to con consider what's going on. 
Yeah, and if you want to feel even better about it, I'm putting I'm pulling up a tweet made by our own Sean Coleman, who's the host of the uh, the sorry the Locked On Grizz podcast. If you're not listening to that, you definitely go should go do that. But he made a tweet about six hours ago, and this is something that'll make you feel much better about it. He said in 303 possessions of Dylan Brooks and Jaron Jackson Jr. on the court and John Morant off the court. The Grizzlies have given up 98 points per 100 possessions, which ranks in the 98 percentile. You're giving up that type of production. You have a fantastic defense. But in 144 possessions, a significant sample size, with Dylan Brooks, Jaron Jackson, and John Morant all on the court, the Grizzlies are just giving up 90 points per 100 possessions, which would be in the 100 percentile, one of the very best defensive lineups in the league. Um, I don't think a lineup that includes John Morant will continue to be one of the very best defensive lineups in the league, but it shows you that when you have two borderline, two, two absolutely elite defenders in Dylan Brooks and Jaron Jackson Jr. on the court, and Desmond Bain is solid in that way. And Steven Adams is pretty decent in space, even though he struggled at times as a rim protector this year. You're going to be fine. Okay, it's not right. going to continue to hurt you to the degree that it did and the first 15, 20 games. And maybe Dylan Brooks's return is the biggest factor in that. Right. So there's still a lot of change that can be made. but And honestly – if the Grizzlies can just stay somewhere around where they are shooting, granted, obviously the Oklahoma City game is an anomaly. Something like that will never, ever, ever, ever happen again. But they can just kind of stay consistent shooting the ball. You don't have to have a 100th or 90th percentile, 98th percentile defense. As long as they can stay in the 90s and shoot consistently, that's a very damn good basketball team. And there's literally nothing to complain about. Now, granted, does that always control the wins and loss column? No. But you're going to win more games than you lose if you're playing that caliber defense and you can shoot the ball just semi-consistently. For sure. Last thing I think we'll talk about and then we'll call it a day. Um, the Pacers, it leaked earlier today via Woj on Twitter that the Pacers are now open to a total rebuild. And they're now open to moving DeMontis Sabonis, Miles uh, Turner, and Chris LeVert. Would you be open to them being uh, members of the Memphis Grizzlies? I don't know, man. You know how I am with the trade machine. I, I hope it never shows up on my timeline. But if they feel that that's what they need, granted, I don't think that's what takes – the Grizzlies to a quote-unquote championship-level basketball team. If that's what they want to do, I'm not going to lose sleep over it. But at the same time, I don't think that takes them to where they want to go either. If Sabonis, maybe. Levert, no. Nah, well, he also my problem with Sabonis, like, obviously, he's a fantastic player. And, like, in an ideal world, he like he's a pretty ideal fit next to Jaron. Um, he's not a very – he's a borderline albatross on defense, but he kind of compensates for some of Jaron's issues. He's a stronger inside player who's averaging 12 rebounds a game. So he's a very effective front court partner for Jaron in that way. Problem is, the Grizzlies have risen to 25th in defense now, which is great, I guess. It's better right. than 30th, that's for sure. But let's say if you're going to trade for Sabonis, you're going to have to send out some combination along with picks with Desmond Bain, Dylan Brooks, DeAnthony Melton, and Brandon Clark. And if you're sending out, say, two of those guys along with picks for Sabonis, 
uh, you're sending your defense straight to the phantom zone. <laughs> it, it's right. going to go well. And so, for the necessary needs of this roster, Miles Turner would be a better fit. But Turner and Jaron are kind of redundant to a certain degree. Jaron is a more well-rounded offensive player than Miles Turner is. Uh, Turner is more or less the same offensive player he was when he came in as a rookie. He's a floor spacing big. You're not going to ask him to make plays off the dribble. You're not going to ask him to do consistent work out of the post. Um, it's just a weird, redundant fit, and I wouldn't hate it, but I think there are better trades that those assets can be used for in the future. When you're trying to find a bigger wing to – accentuate the Grizzlies' core in some way. Chris LeVert might be the most attainable. If you can do something like, and I, I did check it in the um, godforsaken trade machine, so I know that you'll forgive me for this, but if you wanted to send out Jarrett Culver, Kyle Anderson, and two first-round picks for Chris LeVert to be kind of your six-man off-the-bench punch as a scorer, I'd be fine with that. Uh, Kyle Anderson has kind of fallen off a little bit this year. His three-point shooting hasn't been terrible, but the hitch in his shot is back. His defense has severely regressed from where it's been for the last few years. So he's someone I'm pretty open to moving on from, whether that's in a trade or just simply letting him walk in free agency. Jared Culver might be an NBA guy, but he's never going to have a role in Memphis. So if you can package the two of them together with a couple of first-round picks, that's something that I would be open to. Looking for short-term gains that will eventually lead to the greater type of progress and what you're trying to see as far as championship contention. Yeah, I don't – personally, I don't believe Jared Culver has long in this league. And I don't really think he nets you much as far as trade return. But, I mean, I think LeVert could be a decent role player here. But – I don't, I don't know, man. You know I am with it. I'd have to see the team and what, what all happens with the actual trade for me to actually give a educated response to it. That whole trade machine and everything that comes with it, just, that's not my forte. But I think the Grizzlies are headed in the right direction, both currently and future-wise, and that's what makes me happy. Yeah, and for sure. When it, when it comes to trades and everything, I'll call it like I see it when they actually happen. For sure. Bryce, why don't you plug your stuff, man? Um, Y'all know what it is. You can follow me on Twitter at NXT Prodigy and shout out Elite Media Group and Texas Luton Athletics and hopefully we can go get a win here in a couple hours. I already hear the girls up there uh, getting ready to shoot around. So that's where I'm headed after this. And yeah, follow Grizzly Bear Blues. And yeah, man, miss the city and miss home, miss all my people. But we're doing the thing down here. We're getting better down here at TLU. Sure, my man. You can find me on Twitter at NathanChester24. You can find all my Grizzlies-related content at grizzlybearblues.com. Remember, you can't cancel me. You can't. Can they do it, Bryce? They're going to try. They're definitely going to try. And, and, and the attempts are ongoing, but it hasn't happened yet. Bryce, I'll leave it to you. That's all, folks. <laughs>